standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. Before I do that, just want to check in, make sure you're all okay. Lockdown is, as ever, a fucking nightmare. But, you know, we're dealing with it. It's all okay. Happy Easter, if you're listening on Sunday, and that is your kind of thing. Lint chocolate bunnies are very much my kind of thing, so there is that to be grateful for, at least. Getting back to this podcast. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you might have heard in this week's episode, I had a little chat with Rebecca Schiller, who is the co-founder and a trustee of Birthrights, and also the author of a book which I recommend you read if you're up the duff it's called your no guilt pregnancy plan a revolutionary guide to pregnancy birth and the weeks that follow which is just like a lovely reassuring hug which is basically this interview is just a sort of verbal version of that that's how i felt after speaking to rebecca and if you are pregnant i hope that you will feel that way too after you listen to this it's a very very anxious time for pregnant women because as well as being in the high risk category coronavirus is wreaking havoc with the nhs and of course pregnant women as regular users of nhs services are impacted by that perhaps you're worried about you know where you're going to give birth about whether or not you can have a birth partner with you about whether you should be worried about missed antenatal appointments and classes and oh god it's never ending i'm making myself anxious just thinking about it but you will not be anxious hopefully after you listen to this rebecca is just amazing and lovely and i thoroughly recommend you read her book hope you enjoy or you know find this comforting in some way I'm joined on the phone by Rebecca Schiller, co-founder and trustee of Birthrights, and also author of a book that I have recommended on this very podcast, The No Guilt Pregnancy Plan. So, Rebecca, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) It's nice to be doing something that involves talking to to somebody who isn't a member of my immediate family. So, thank you. (laughs) Yes, I I think everyone's feeling that a bit at the moment, aren't they? So, just to start with, can you tell us a little bit about who birthrights are and what you guys do so birthright is the human rights in childbirth charity we've been going since the beginning of 2013 and we are founded by a group of midwives obstetricians anaesthetists lawyers and maternity service users who all sort of came together united by the belief that the human rights uh, principles and the legal framework that gives them a very positive kind of power to be used to improve pregnancy and birth for all people in the UK and to um, particularly protect those made most vulnerable by by their circumstances. So we have been working through a few things from training um, frontline um, midwives, doctors on um, how human rights can improve the kind of care that they want to provide. We provide advice to uh, pregnant women, to healthcare professionals. Um, We do research, we try and find out what's going on on the ground and then we use all of that to go back to the policymakers and to try and ensure that our maternity systems and services are um, structured in a way that is going to protect the rights of of, of pregnant women in the UK and um, give them um, safe, respectful, dignified care throughout the period of pregnancy birth and immediately afterwards so the reason i'm chatting to you today is as a podcast we've been trying to chat to different charities who are sort of taking a more active role in what's going on at the moment Mm. in the uk with the coronavirus and stuff like that and you guys have been pretty busy in the in the media over the last couple of weeks uh, because coronavirus sort of impacts on pregnant women in two kind of more general ways number one 
pregnant women were sort of, I guess, quite unexpectedly or quite suddenly placed in the high risk category or vulnerable group mm. for coronavirus, not because we're told there's any specific research or evidence to, to indicate that pregnant women are particularly vulnerable, but just as a yeah. precautionary measure. But that is still, you yeah. know, giving pregnant women quite a lot of anxiety, understandably, and at a very anxious Absolutely. time anyway. And number two, because we are pretty massive users of the NHS which is obviously really, really under the cosh at the moment. So there's been a lot of stories in the news in the last week, particularly about the latter and how that impacts on the NHS might affect pregnant women who are due to give birth soon. And obviously just with their sort of general appointments. Can you tell us a little bit about where the land lies with this? And does it depend very much on where in the country you are? I think it's it's true to say that, that this will be affecting all pregnant women at the moment and 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 all those who've, who've given birth very recently i don't think there's anybody who who is finding that 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 completely unaffected by this mm-hmm. however you're quite right what exactly is happening varies from actually from person to person from hospital to hospital from gp surgery to gp um, and there is some national guidance kind of emerging, emerging and being developed, which gives an idea of, of best practice. But I think because the situation on the ground is changing so rapidly and also because different areas of the country have very different setups. Um, some, you know, everybody's already coming into a central hospital to have their appointments and give birth and others. It's mainly sort of community based and kind of small birth centres. And those those challenges of, of reconfiguring and rearranging services really vary from place to place and I, and I think also it depends on individuals you know what you know lots of pregnant women um having really straightforward pregnancies and are, and, and are in really good health but but others have got complicated factors and so they will be getting different advice which is all to say it's quite confusing and anxiety inducing and I think that's something that we're hearing a lot and I'm hearing a lot from from pregnant women that a, a lot of uh, of women feel very worried at the moment and then they're worried about how worried they're feeling and I think there is just a, you know a message out there that this is a difficult a difficult situation for everybody and you've just got to cut yourself some slack if it's making you you feel anxious because it, it is essentially anxiety inducing but there have been some there have been some particular things that have worried women who are about to give birth and one of those is about birth partners we've had lots of people contact birth rights concerned that they've been told they won't be allowed to have a birth partner for uh, a birth that's in a few weeks or that they're unlikely to be able to they might be due in a couple of months i mean we don't know what the situation is going to be i'm mm. having a baby in nine weeks time i was going to say allegedly but uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know where that came from um, i mean she's there she is there keeping me awake constantly yeah. well we don't know what the situation is going to be in nine weeks time or even a week's time because nope. as you say the situation is moving so rapidly i'm in london which is obviously quite badly impacted at the moment but then there is kind of there's kind of an argument that Obviously, midwives and hospital staff are at massive risk of contracting this virus and becoming ill. And would we not rather protect them and protect the number of staff available to work to make sure there are the resources to deliver those babies rather than have birth partners? Should the onus not be on just making sure there are enough staff to do what they need to do? I think there there absolutely needs to be a focus on all of those things. Um, I think 
the personal protective equipment. There needs to be a real focus on that. Um, Midwives and doctors who are in hospitals are going to be exposed to people who um, are testing positive. That might be, you know, pregnant women who have the coronavirus will still be giving birth. So birth partners aside, we need to make sure that midwives and obstetricians and anaesthetists have been given really good guidance and really good equipment because whether or not a woman has a birth partner, they are going to be exposed to the coronavirus is going to be, it already is in hospitals. I think what's interesting about birth partners is there's so much around childbirth that can sound like it's on the sort of nice to have but non-essential list, going from the kind of whale music and candles (laughs) (laughs) all the way through to birth partners. And I think quite a lot of coverage that said, you know, actually it's only in the last sort of 20 years that, that women didn't, you know, women always were just coming in from giving birth by themselves. You know, fathers have only recently been introduced into maternity units. It's a very easy thing to strip out of the system. That's not true. I mean, there was a period of time in which women were mainly coming into hospitals and giving birth without a partner. And, and that was generally a time in which birth was felt to be quite emotionally unsafe for women and one of the reasons that that birth partners have you know risen in popularity in those hospital settings is because it's been essential to women's emotional and physical well-being and of course before we were all giving birth in hospitals nobody was giving birth by by themselves but there's also a, a lot of evidence that shows that having a trusted birth partner with you during birth it doesn't just improve how you feel it does improve how you feel but it actually seems to have a profound impact on everything from shortening your labor reducing the need for pain relief, improving the um, APGAR scores of babies at birth. So it's actually quite an important protective factor. And I think particularly when we're looking at a service that's already really stretched, you know, maternity services, midwives were always, you know, have have been increasingly, we know there's a shortage of midwives in the system. They're not often able to provide the kind of emotional and physical support that that women need to get them through labour and birth. And they're often in the immediate postnatal period you know they're really stretched in terms of providing enough care for women who say have had an epidural or cesarean aren't able to reach their baby to feed them aren't able to reach their water jug so stripping out birth partners from that really exposes women to some emotional and physical risks of course there may be certain situations and it's trust will have to make those decisions as the situation evolves but i think it would be a very very extreme situation and it would be a very sort of draconian response to that extreme situation to remove birth partners because actually they bring in themselves huge huge benefits and they take the pressure off a system that is already um, under huge strain. Another thing that we've been hearing about in the news is around for example maternity wards, delivery suites, things like that being turned into sort of coronavirus Mm. centres if you will and then pregnant women potentially being sort of shipped out to hotels to give birth. Mm. What do you make of that? I think it is inevitable that if, if hospitals are having a sudden you know, capacity issue, that services will have to be moved around. Um, and and there, of course, Trust will be looking at everything non-essential, taking that out and looking at what can be repurposed. Do you find it quite interesting that, that birth centres, you know, the, the midwife-led wards, are often seem to be the designated first place to 
closed and be taken over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do find that quite quite interesting. I find it interesting um, and um, yet wholly predictable. Thank you, medical profession, yeah. and the way you treat yeah. women. But um, anyway, absolutely. Well, exactly. If we look at emergency and disaster responses and whose rights they affect first. It is always women and children, and it's one of the reasons that birthright statement on this has been very strong about protecting you know this is one of actually the few areas of healthcare that you cannot suspend you can't say these are non-essential operations or we're going to scale back these services because the same number of women are going to give birth that the risks are um, the same if not you know slightly higher the needs remain exactly the same and if you put less investment into those services then what you have of course is a, is a negative consequence you know women and babies are vulnerable to staff shortages and to service reconfiguration and we know that if you put a whole load of women who are having straightforward pregnancies in situations that are set up for higher risk pregnancies they are more likely to go on to have resource intensive things like cesarean sections so it's something that we have said it's absolutely important that the maternity services enough attention is paid to them they remain robustly funded and that the staff that are already dedicated to maternity services, the midwives, the maternity support workers, the obstetricians, the anaesthetists are all enabled to carry on doing that job and they're not diverted elsewhere. Of course, in some, it depends how hospitals and trusts are set up. In some areas, you know, the hospital may have to close. But actually, we've encouraged, one of the things we've said recently is that in other countries, they are looking at quite creative ways in which they can make sure that women aren't um, having sort of less access to services like like, for example, taking over hotels and creating sort of pop-up community birth centres. I don't know whether that is a good idea in, in every context, and I don't know how it would work logistically, but we're sort of saying rather than reducing the offer to women, can we be creative about what we're able to offer and can we also make sure we're investing the time and the money to ensure that as far as possible women are getting enough antenatal care, enough postnatal care, and they are still enabled to make their own decisions about where and kind of how they they give birth. From my own experience, pregnant women are obviously having lots of appointments cancelled, which is understandable. You, yeah. can, you can see why that is happening. But from my perspective, I have a, th- a thing. I, don't, I think it's not altogether uncommon and uh, I've been assured that it's not something to be unduly anxious about. But I have low pap A hormone. So I've right. been having like extra scans and stuff just to make sure that she's cooking OK. Mm. And happy to report that everything appears to be fine. Obviously, even if you haven't been told that there is a specific reason why you need to have these appointments, but if you have Mm. been told that you should have these extra appointments, again, it is quite anxiety inducing to have Mm. those appointments cancelled. Should pregnant women be worried about that or, or should we just sort of trust that those appointments would, you know, if we really needed them, they would be happening? I mean, I think this is one where it's really important that um, everybody knows who they can talk to about this. You may not be having as many physical appointments, but I would hope that every pregnant woman has a number to call where they can talk to um, a midwife. And that may involve calling the maternity unit. Uh, the number's often on, on your notes. If you are worried that there are appointments treatments, additional scans that you're having that were for a reason and those have been cancelled and you want to follow what the rationale for that is. I think it's very reasonable to expect the midwife that, that you would normally see at your appointments to talk to you about that. 
There are, of course, lots of comforting things. There are lots of variations around the country and around the world about things like scans. So, you know, in this country, a lot of women only have two scans. In other countries, um, it is routine for women to have eight scans. So there often isn't an agreed international best practice. Um, Often these things are guesses. And of course, in maternity care, the system is set up to be as overcautious often as possible. And actually, there's a, there's a lot of evidence that there are perhaps additional unnecessary scans in some people's cases or additional unnecessary interventions. Quite how that relates to individuals, um, I think, has to be communicated between a midwife and, and a woman. And I would say to anyone, you know, it is, of course, we don't want to be burdening the NHS at the moment, but you remain very, very important. Your care is very important. And if you're worried that you're getting left behind or forgotten, don't be frightened to put your head above the parapet to pick up the, the phone and say, I am concerned about this and this is why, and I need it to be explained to me. And um, I think that is very, very reasonable. And it is difficult. I find it difficult to, to advocate for myself like that anyway. I find it even more difficult when I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I would find it, I'm sure, even more difficult if I was pregnant in the middle of a, a global pandemic because it, it, it's hard not to, to sort of put your hand up and feel that you're making it all about you and it's a big, big situation. But actually, you are still super, super important. So in your case, you know, if you can get your sort of community midwife, whoever you've been seeing for your appointments, if you can get on the phone, if you've been going to hospital to whoever is the lead midwife there and ask to speak to them about that, then I think that would be a very reasonable thing to do. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Another thing that has been cancelled, hospital antenatal classes have pretty much all been cancelled. I mean, a lot of places like NCT are offering antenatal courses online, but I actually have chosen not to do that because... One, I find it a a little bit outrageous that you can charge the same amount for a completely different service to the one that was advertised. But also, I don't like everyone's Wi-Fi has gone to shit. The idea of sort of, you know, watching someone talk for six hours or whatever over Zoom with nine other couples all talking over each other is just too stressful for me to comprehend. So I've decided I'm not going to do that. And hospital antenatal classes have been cancelled. But that does leave you a little bit high and dry then if you are like me it's your first pregnancy and frankly you don't have a clue how to look after a child or give birth to one are there any resources out there because obviously there are a lot of people who who can't afford to go to nct classes anyway who would have been dependent on those hospital classes are there resources out there for people who are now sort of antenatally homeless as it were there are lots of resources out there anyway and ones that don't involve joining a populated zoom call i'm already so done with zoom um <laughs> uh, it's just life is just a series of people talking over each other and and they're not and there being a 10 second delay on it so no one has a fucking clue what's happening basically yeah. at any point but sorry i just spoke over you yeah. <laughs> um, i think we're just agreeing with each other i mean i yeah. think there, there are plenty of resources, some of which need to be paid for and some of which people are, uh, are offering for, for free. Um, and that's everything from kind of um, a bit of virtual one-to-one support from, from a doula. Obviously, they can't, they can't come, come to a birth with you, but 
doulas do a really good job of, of listening and signposting to resources and actually a one-to-one chat every now and then with someone that knows the local system and is a really good listener and is able to talk to you about um, how you're feeling at a time of anxiety is, is not a terrible idea. There's also things like hypnobirthing um, and, and relaxation scripts which may be really useful and there's such a big range of audio books that give you the information so any information that you're going to get in an antenatal class about everything from pain relief to water birth to positions to breastfeeding all of that information you can find via a book or audio book I wrote one and obviously I think that's the one for people to get but there's a huge range depending on um the, the kind of person you are and, and, and the kind of tone you like and what you're planning. What was announced yesterday was a collaboration between Millie Hill, who runs the Positive Birth Movement, and a really brilliant woman called Sophie Fletcher, who has written three books on pregnancy, um, or maybe it's two, and she's writing her third, three books on pregnancy and birth and the immediate postnatal period from a hypnobirthing background. But I really, really, really like her her take on it. And they've produced something they're calling a giving birth during a pandemic positive birth rescue pack. It's a combination of updated kind of resources and information, including, you know, what is more likely to happen now in this sort of situation. Um, some new hypnobirthing tracks specifically designed for pregnant and birthing women in this situation. They are charging for it, but they are donating 10% of the profits to Birthright. And I think they're, they've done a sort of tiered pricing so that you pay what you can afford, which sounds like a really good system. Lots of birth workers are really low paid anyway. And it's a really great initiative for some people to be giving stuff away for free. But actually, these are all self-improved people <laughs> yeah, using their, sure. their income too. So if you can pay for some of this stuff, great. But I, I like the idea of a, a tiered kind of pay what you can system. And it looks to me like this. I haven't looked through it all myself. But it looks like it's a really useful combination of what information, techniques and tips you would usually get but updated, bearing in mind that some birth options may be, for some women, they may not be able to access those as, as, as much as possible uh, and that anxiety levels may be higher than usual and that you have different things to contend with. And I really respect both Millie and Sophie, so I think they will have done a really good job of that. But I, I also think that one of the best things to be doing at this stage is sort of thinking about the support you might need after birth. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's quite hard to prepare for birth and it's quite hard to prepare for motherhood. It's one of the things I say in my book, I, you know, do our best. But as you kind of said it, even, you know, you were allegedly going to have a baby. And it always, I think, <laughs> even feels <laughs> like that to me when, I, when I've been supporting women at birth. I mean, obviously, I know they're pregnant and I know they're giving birth right then because that's why I'm there. But it always still seems kind of mind blowing that a baby comes out in the end. So I think one of the things to be thinking about is what kind of support can you get in place for afterwards and that's a bit more challenging at the moment but things like if you are thinking about breastfeeding lots of people are now offering really good online breastfeeding support and that can be that can be a one-to-one video call with kind of looking at and help with latching and positioning and so looking at what resources are out there bookmarking those now rather than trying to find them at 3am and you know what what can you be doing to make sure that you've got the freezer stock now so that you're reducing that kind of burden on yourself and thinking about where you're going to get that even if it has to be slightly virtual support after after the baby is born 
I mean, this is this is my first pregnancy, and I can tell you that I was awake at one thirty a.m. this morning googling mm. what does a baby wear in the summer. That yeah. is the level of my expertise. This is what we're going into, and honestly, I don't I yeah. don't have a clue, which is quite worrying. Yeah. But all of this information, presumably, there are some good books out there on sort of you know newborn baby care and things like that. Absolutely. I mean, there's loads of books on how to care um, for, for a newborn and you, you, know, you might need to read a couple of books to work out what feels right to you. Some are very much focused on getting a routine from day one. Some are very much focused on being kind of led by the baby from day one. But all of those have got information like how to give a baby a bath and uh, what temperature should the room be and how often to change the nappy. Um, and the, the actually the NCT has loads of information on their website too really available so things like you know pictures of a newborn baby's poo for the first week that sounds like the worst thing in the world i can tell you now <laughs> that when you've got a three-day-old baby you're going to be desperate to look at a picture of what a three-day-old baby's poo looks like and actually the internet is perfect for that that information is out there you can find a resource that you've heard of, um, like the NCT, so you know it's not 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 likely to be spurious information. But there's loads of videos on how to give a baby a bath. The general guidance on like what babies should be wearing is one thin layer more than you are wearing. But also, you very very quickly work out that a baby that's a bit cold or a bit hot lets you know by yelling at you. Um, so you very <laughs> you very quickly you will find that you know the answer to a lot of those questions because you'll you'll be you'll be increasingly sort of in tune with in tune with your baby but that information is all out there freely available and when I had my both my babies I was given a book by the NHS that had all of those bits of information in um, I can't remember whether they still do that but there are so many step by step day by day dummy's guide to having a baby books out there um, that have every bit of information you need and you should all also still be getting postnatal care from your midwife and part of that is talking to you about how you're feeling seeing how you're coping checking your baby checking their feeding checking the the nappies are going in the right direction because that's the best way to check the baby's feeding well so you will still be getting that support it might be coming in a slightly different form but you will still be getting it you won't be on your own with a newborn. Rebecca, you've written an excellent book about pregnancy and birth, which I have recommended on this podcast before because I think it's so calm and measured and just like, you know, it's there's no sort of opinion about what you should be doing. There's no judgment. It's all just like, it's exactly what I needed, basically. That's the no guilt pregnancy plan. Can you recommend a good book for people listening in terms of sort of newborn baby care? People like Your Baby Week by Week, The Ultimate Guide to Caring for Your New Baby. I have not read it, but I think one of the reasons people like it is that there is a lot of very detailed step-by-step, day-by-day, week-by-week information in it. And that's quite often what you want um, when you've had a newborn. Sarah Ockwell-Smith's books are, I, I really like her approach. She's much more from the terrible word attachment parenting end of the spectrum but she's also very good on the kind of no judgment you do the best you can you just have to be kind of good enough but she's got books on everything from kind of sleep 
to feeding and some stuff for when they get older about kind of discipline and how to kind of do that in a way um, that works for you. Um, there's a Dawling Kindersley day by day baby book. I really like. I think it's if you're. I think one thing that's really important to have if you if you're thinking about breastfeeding is a good breastfeeding book. And there's a new one that has just been released. And it's by a woman called Vanessa Christie, who is a lactation consultant. And she actually gave me some of the breastfeeding and bottle feeding information for my book. She really, really knows her stuff. And it's called The Baby Feeding Book. Great. So it's got information on breastfeeding, expressing and bottle feeding. And I think that's a really good one to have in your armory as well. So, Rebecca, finally, obviously you guys are doing a sterling job sort of helping women access advice and, you know, advocating for women. How can we help you? Because I imagine you're you know on the lookout for donations and support yeah i mean really i i can dress it up in lots of different ways but really what we could do with this some more money you know we're a small organization and um, we we look like we're quite a bigger organization often because um, we have a big impact and we're, we're we're doing lots of different things but we've got five part-time members of staff who are all now also homeschooling their children <laughs> while working um, and that is a big challenge so we've put on our, our website which is birthrights.org.uk on the home page there is a link to click for information about COVID-19 and how that affects pregnancy and birth and also if you want to donate to us we're one of those charities that if you give us money it's really going to the work that we do we have such a small team we don't have an office we all work virtually so that the funds we raise are really effectively used to support women to give advice to train midwives and doctors and we're already looping all of the information that pregnant women and frontline staff are giving us straight back into the sort of high level policy discussions we're having so that we can push the right buttons to try and ensure that the national guidance and the local guidance is directing maternity services in a way that will protect women and babies physically, but also emotionally at a time they really need it. So yeah, give us a cast if you can. We could we could really do with it. So we are on Twitter at birthrights.org. Our website is birthrights.org.uk. And um, you can search for birthrights on Facebook. We've got a really good Facebook page. And on our website, we've got loads of really easy to read, simple and clear fact sheets about rights in maternity care and so if you've got questions on everything from specifically this situation to more generally uh, the website is a really good place to to throw that information and if you like um, reading some fact sheets we've got some videos as well yeah please use those resources because they're there for you. Rebecca thank you so much for chatting to me and thank you so much to Birthrights for doing what you're doing. We're really pleased to be able to sort of do what we can um, and would just also, I guess, say, if you are worried, if you've got a situation, we have an advice service. It's completely free. And if you go to our website, we're there to, within you know, a couple of days, try and answer your, your queries um, with our kind of expert advice. Excellent. Rebecca, thank you. Thanks very much. Hello, Mickey here to tell you how you can find out more about us. And that is if you want to follow us on Twitter. Standard Issue is at Standard Issue UK. I'm at Mixed Noonan. Hannah is at That Dunleavy. And Jen is at Inspire Jen. And you can find out more about our views, opinions and general nonsense if you follow us over there. Look forward to having a natter.
standard issue for all women.